And I was thinking, man, this is so weird. I'm at my day job in <laughs> Ohio. Shaq is pulling out of his driveway in Florida. And I'm talking about that. And we're about to talk about NBA Jam. And I was like. <laughs> Welcome to Game Dev Advice, the game developers podcast. Your place for resources and in-depth conversations with other game development professionals. I'm your host, John J.P. Podlasic. I've worked at 10 different game companies, starting back in 1989 with the TurboGrafx-16. Over the decades, I've developed games like Mortal Kombat, Avengers Initiative, Beavis and Butthead, and numerous others. I now work for a startup called Level X. But this podcast isn't about me. It's about you and the game development community. So if you have questions or ideas, give a call, 224 224- 484-7733 or go to the gamedevadvice.com website. I have a great episode for you today, so let's kick things off with the new Game Dev Advice. All right, everybody, I have journalist Rayon Ali here, and he has a book called NBA Jam that just came out. How are you doing? I am doing fantastic. How are you? I'm doing great. Congrats on the book. Thank you. Very cool. Thank you. It's very surreal. It's weird. I started working on it four years ago. So to finally have it out and to finally for it to be a thing, I mean, you can go on Amazon and like look it up, mm-hmm. reviews. Yeah. It's very weird. You know, it like lived inside my head and I've been talking to people about NBA Jam and Midway for so long. It was always just my thing. So it's a super mm-hmm. exciting time, but very surreal. Yeah. Yeah. I, I looked online, so I had some uh, five-star reviews and things. So um Tell me how you, video games kind of influenced your life growing up in Pakistan. Yeah, I've had a really fascinating life just from like the, the bird's eye view of it. So I was born in Dallas, Texas to a Pakistani dad and white American mom. So I spent my childhood in Dallas. I was there for probably, let's say, three, four years, at least that part of my childhood. Then my parents right. split up uh, when I was pretty young. So I lived with my mom in Marietta, Ohio for a little bit. And then uh, I ended up moving with my dad to Pakistan when I was about five. So this was probably 1991 or so. And okay. for the whole, the entirety of the 90s, that's where I was. So I moved back uh, over here in 2001 to live with my mom again. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was uh, definitely a, a different experience, like being American and then going over there and then rather being the, you know, the Pakistani kid over here and then going mm-hmm. and being the American kid over there. Um, <laughs> I'm always like, I've always been of two worlds. And when, like, when you look at me, like, you can tell I'm something. I'm like, okay, he's some flavor of ethnic, but I don't quite know what he is. Like, people, <laughs> is he Iranian? Is he Italian? Is he Greek? Is he that? Right. Yeah. But no, I've uh, always had a, a passion for video games. My uh-huh. first memories of playing, actually, not my first memories are what my dad tells me are the first times I played games were playing on Nintendo. Of course, Super Mario Brothers were back mm-hmm. in the late 80s when I was a little kid. Yeah. And then, so yeah, so I went from that, uh, from a Nintendo to a Sega Genesis, or rather a Sega Mega Drive 2 in mm-hmm. the early 90s, and then in the mid-90s, and when I was over in Pakistan, and then I was probably 95 or so, when I played this game called NBA Jam Tournament Edition. Boom shakalaka! There you go. Mm-hmm. That was a pretty good boom shakalaka. <laughs> yeah, so I, um, I mean, I always had a soft spot for video games, but this actually got me in the NBA. It's funny, it's a completely unrealistic game. But I remember seeing right. an ad for it on this comic, on the the back cover of a comic book, and I was like, "Man, this looks really cool." This was for, mm-hmm. yeah, it was for tournament edition, and like it claims advertising, like just you know they would just turn up the contrast on those colors and like the Seattle yeah, would just pop. Yeah, 
Mm-hmm. So I was like, this looks pretty cool. So then I ended up trying NBA Jam, loved it, played it a lot. And then I also got mm-hmm. really into Mortal Kombat around that time. And I actually worked on a Mortal okay. Kombat website when I was back in Pakistan too. So this would have hmm. been the late 90s. Yeah. That was my wow. first ever writing gig was a Mortal Kombat website. And it's very full circle for me to like go from like playing NBA Jam as a kid over there and uh-huh. work on this Mortal Kombat website, which is how I got to know people like, or get to know of people like, you know, not just Boone and Tobias, but people like John Vogel. John Vogel was very good to me. Mm. Years. Yeah. I've got some fun stories about him too, at least like as it relates to the late 90s. He probably doesn't remember mm-hmm. them, but they made a big impression on me. And as a Mortal Kombat diehard, the late 90s were a very tough time to be a fan. Yeah. Mortal Kombat yep. 4 came out in 1997. Yeah. And, you know, loved the series. And then, you know, you've got Mortal Kombat mythologies. And I think they had special forces around that time too. But no mainline mm-hmm. MK games until I think it was 2002 when Deadly Alliance came out. Yep. So what they had in between was the Grid, of course. And, you know, my Mortal Kombat website, we worked on it. Like, you know, we did something special for the Grid. We did a whole FAQ. And I was the one who wrote mm-hmm. this FAQ because I was fascinated by this game. But yeah. I had never played it before. And I, I, I was going to ask, like, yeah, like how did no, how did you play? I didn't because play it. I didn't play it. No, <laughs> and I couldn't get a chance to play it. Like, believe me, right. I would look everywhere for it. Arcade yeah. didn't make it over there. So yeah, so Karachi, think of it. So it's more like a like a, think of it like a Shanghai or Bangkok, like into a uh-huh. big city. Like it's very bustling, very cosmopolitan, or very you know, rather very metropolitan. Mm-hmm. But it didn't have like all the new games. Like as in like I knew where to, I could find Mortal Kombat, but I had no idea where I could find a Mortal Kombat four. I don't think there was one anywhere. But then I, mm. I wanted to find like Wave Runner by Sega. Like I knew where to go for that. Mm-hmm. Anyways, so yeah, the grid. I was fascinated by this game. I was like, oh, it's something new from the Mortal Kombat team. I thought it looked super cool. I watched yeah. one AVI clip of it like 30 times. So I was like, I'm going to do an FAQ. So I reached out to this email address that was on the grid's website. And that ended up being John. <laughs> and I ended yeah. up doing probably five, six exchanges, like long exchanges with him, asking questions yeah. about the game as if I was playing it or as if I couldn't mm-hmm. play it. And I did this whole FAQ with him. And he was so gracious and super cool. And, you know, being a kid and loving it, Mortal Kombat, this was just, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, somebody from the Mortal Kombat team. And John was the best. And then to top it off, so we put, published this FAQ. I was super proud of it. It was really my first ever writing gig. And mm-hmm. Vogel says to me, hey, you know, I want to send you something. What's your address? I was like, okay, here's my address. I'm like, okay, yeah, wow. You know, of course, you know, it will happen that you'll give out the address or somebody might say they'll do something. Nothing comes of it. That's just like, right. But he was like, yeah, I'm going to send you something. And then I just remember this day distinctly going down my driveway and the postman was there and he had a, a package. And I got this package and I looked at it and it was hmm. Chicago, Illinois. And I got so psyched and I was like, oh my God, this is something for Midway. And I opened it up and it was a grid t-shirt. <laughs> and I still have that. I wore the hell out of it. It's all beaten up. It's got yeah. a hole in it. It's all the colors all faded, but I have it downstairs right now. And okay. it meant so much to me that he sent that on over to, you know, to wow. Pakistan across the world. And then I love that. And I've like got old photographs of me wearing this grid promotional shirt, even though I didn't mm-hmm. even play the game probably for another 15 years. So obviously I love the grid. So years later I found it. And the one place I found it, it was in this arcade in Texas. Was, you know, you kind of have to go out of your way to, to play this because this is like, let's say 2015 or 16 or something. Maybe it was like yeah. 12 or 13. Anyways, 2010s or 2010s. And I found it over there. I played it. I loved the game as much as I always knew I would. It was very surreal actually playing it. And then I go back to the mm-hmm. arcade and it's not there. I'm like, well, at least I got to play it. And then I go over to this room and it's like for the for sale cabinets. No uh. way. 
no way. <laughs> and then I see it on there and I'm like, I have never done anything like this before. I'm, I really don't have much cash. I'm like, man, I really uh-huh. want this. And I convinced my dad who lived over in Texas. I was like, if I can get, get this somehow, like, will you store it for me for a few years until I have a house uh, over in Ohio, yeah. no less. And he's like, okay, yeah, sure. You know, this is what your parents will do for you. Lo and behold yeah. today, right now, as I speak, if I go to my left and out the door to the garage, there's a single grid cabinet sitting right over <laughs> It's That's amazing. Fantastic. That's great. So on the book, like, at what point do you decide, I am going to write a book about NBA Jam? Like, when did that click? Yeah. You know. So NBA Jam in particular was really a product of the circumstances as to where I was at the time. So I've been freelancing for many years at that point. So this is 2015. And I've been freelancing since about 2008. So since I graduated college, even before I graduated college. So I did lots of music writing. Mm -hmm. So I've interviewed lots of musicians, did lots of pop culture stuff. Uh, I've interviewed some WWE wrestlers, written for all kinds of places. Uh, Rolling Stone, Wired, The Atlantic, The AV Club. Yeah, Spin Magazine, Complex, American Airlines in-flight magazine, which was pretty cool. One of those ones I was never like, hey, American <laughs> Airlines in-flight magazine, that's that's on the bucket list. But when I was on a plane yeah. and I saw a teaser for an article I wrote those online, I'm like, yeah, hell yeah, American Airlines in-flight magazine, let's go. I freelanced for, for many years. It's a real tough, uh, tough grind, especially on the freelance front, because not only do you not make very much mm-hmm. money, but it's also none of it is taxed. So April is pretty much the worst time of the year. And which is brutal. Yeah. But yeah, I'd been writing these short articles and I'd done lots of cool things. And I had lots of experience and I was like, I want to do something mm-hmm. more substantial. I really want to tell something with a longer story. That's not even just a 3000 word cover story. I want to do something with some meat on the bone. And I heard about this press mm-hmm. called boss fight books where they do individual books about individual video games. So they'll do, you know, one book about Galga. Yeah. Oh, one book right. about earthbound mm-hmm. one book about Super Mario two, another book about Super Mario three. And the premise was really fascinating to me. And they had something on there about pitches. And I was like, oh, man, this, is, this could be an opportunity. Now, I'd pitched two books before uh, to a music book series. And both of those had been rejected, which is just part of the game, you know? But yeah. I was like, okay, third yeah. time. I really want this. And like this time, I'm like, I really want to like make it so that I'm going to get this. So I went way mm-hmm. overboard. I did a 37-page pitch. And... For contrast, most people wow. do like eight or 10, I, I think at the most from what I could gather about Boss Fight, but I really wanted this. And um, yeah. yeah, so I was trying to think of a game that would have some kind of real interesting story that would have some cool subjects mm-hmm. for me to talk about or talk to and something that I had some familiarity with. So I you know, kind of racked my brain and I was like, man, NBA Jam, that's got to be a good one because people loved NBA Jam, but you know, back in 2015, especially, they weren't really talking about it. Mm-hmm. And you know, yeah. all those people, you know, what's amazing is that all those people are alive and all those people uh, are American. So I can reach out to them. You know, I can find them mm-hmm. on Facebook or LinkedIn or their websites or whatever. So if I was doing it about a Japanese yeah. game, then I would have to deal with a lot more barriers. And plus I had so much right. familiarity with midway guys anyways from my Mortal Kombat days, like even Mark Tremel, Sal DeVita. These were names that I recognized yep. because I was so passionate about Mortal Kombat, I'd say, okay, oh, these are the guys that did Blitz and whatnot. And I loved NBA Jam and I loved Blitz. Mm-hmm. And then Gabe Durham, the editor, gets in touch with me and the editor and publisher of Boss Five Books gets in touch with me. And then, you know, he, he vets me and talks to me about this pitch. And then, yeah, and mm-hmm. then he's into us. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. I'm going to get to write a book about NBA Jam. This is amazing. 
and yeah. in this movie says yes and i'm just you know feel like i'm on top of the world but also terrified oh my gosh i just signed up for this project yeah oh shit it's exactly on. now i'm on the hook for this i really want right. to do it i just, i know i really want to do a book and i know i can do a good book but it's you know it's a huge task and at this point keep in mind i had done a whole pitch where i'd given an idea of what the book could be but had not been in touch with Mark Jermell or Sal DeVita or Tim Kisro or anybody. And then fast forward four years later and I'm all finished. You know, lots of life stuff happened in between and the project grew and grew. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I find one lead here or one story there that has to make it in or I'll change this section yeah. or that section. But yeah, mm-hmm. I knew NBA Jam had a really great story. I didn't know how good it was until I started talking to people behind it. And it actually turned out yeah. even better than I thought it would in my head in terms of like the material I got and the access I got and the people I got to speak to. So it's been really fulfilling and really mm-hmm. worth it all in the end. Who did you meet and how did you yeah. do the research? What's funny is that I've done 68 interviews. Well, actually, let me, let me tell you about the interviews first. I did 68 interviews for the book, which was way mm-hmm. overboard. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm glad I did them to the degree of like, okay, I, I scratched that itch, you know, fulfilling curiosity. Yeah. If I do another book like this in the future or anything like that, probably will top off at about 50 unless it really deserves it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I did 68 interviews total. So and then from there, I got to talk to people to claim um, Greg Fishback, the, uh, the uh, CEO, about wow. four or five other people to claim. And then let's see from there, I got. I also talked to the fans who wrote the first ever NBA Jam strategy guide, the cheerleaders, hmm. so Carrie Hoskins and Maureen Olivia. <laughs> then I started going with, okay, let's get some, some, you know, some bigger fish over here in terms of like, you know, more bigger outliers. So I got Jack for the mm-hmm. book, which is pretty cool. Hmm. Glenn Rice another great NBA player from the 90s. Uh, okay. George Clinton uh, from Parliament Funkadelic, famous NBA Jam secret character. Yeah. Oh, okay. I was like, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. George Clinton. Yeah, yeah, George like, Clinton. And I was amazed that he gave me his time, but I was very grateful. I was fun talking to him too. I've got a, a fun story about, about him as well. Uh, DJ Jeff, huh. uh, another secret character. And then mm-hmm. who else did I do? I did Nolan Bushnell for some research I did about Pong for the opening wow. chapter. Yeah. Uh, John Romero. I'm honestly forgetting people, which I feel really bad about. I just did so many. Like, I really wanted to be thorough. Hmm. And I wanted to be like, you know, if you ever want to learn about the story about Midway and these people, like, this is the, a definitive account. When it comes to NBA Jam, I consider it the definitive account. Now, I'm biased. But yeah. I really did everything I could to ask, uh, to talk to everybody. You know, Matt Booty was another one. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. yeah. Yeah, he's a great guy. Yeah, I think I did a couple of Skype interviews, but it was almost all over the phone. Mm-hmm. But the thing is that even though it was over the phone, I was able, like, I had been working on it for so long, like for four years, I built rapport with these people. Yeah. You know, when uh, mm-hmm. I found out I was going to, this is, this is funny, I, when I found out I was going to have a child, uh, or rather, rather my wife's going to have a child, <laughs> the first person yeah. I told, aside from immediate family, was Mark Tremell late one night. <laughs> and I was just like, I haven't told even my friends about this. And I was like, he's like oh, wow. And that was really exciting. And then, right. then lo and behold, a few months later on March 22nd, it was Mark Jamel's birthday. And I sent him uh-huh. a little text, like a, a happy birthday text. I said, thanks. And that day he was doing an NBA yeah. jam, some kind of talk at the GDC. Uh, this was yeah, GDC. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. It was like two GDCs. Yeah, Sal DeVita yeah, yeah. Okay. and uh, Tim yep. Kestrow and himself that night. And that was March 22nd. Mm-hmm. And then later that day, three weeks early, my baby girl was born. On Mark wow. Jamel's birthday, the same day that he was in California giving that speech. So the morning started off with sending Mark yeah. this uh, happy birthday text, and the night ended with Mark sending me a congratulations text on the baby. So funny and odd stories. I'm sure you have a ton. Hit me up with a story or two that was 
really funny or uh, interesting along, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. So one of my absolute favorites involves Shaq. So, you know, we were talking off air a little bit about Shaq food. Yes. No, oh, I did talk to him about Shaq food though, too. I'll get to that in a second. Might as well. But so, um, you know, I wanted to get somebody who's a player for the book. And of course I tried a whole bunch of different players. So I got Glenn Rice, which I was super happy about. Mm-hmm. But, you know, with no disrespect intended to Glenn Rice at all, you know, I really want somebody that's like, will pop out to my mom, you know, tell my mom. Yeah, marquee right. name, right. Glenn, uh, Glenn, I'm like, was he was a Seattle? Right, yeah, he was over in Charlotte and yeah. Miami. So, yeah, so great, great player. Okay. He was like the 97 All-Star Game MVP. But he was one of those mm-hmm. guys you have to be a basketball guy to know. But I was like, if I can, let me try, like, to get somebody, you know, like, who's that? Exactly. Iconic, yeah. right? Yeah. I was like, oh, Shaq. Okay, so Shaq, obviously, he's not only got an NBA Jam connection because I knew he liked the game, and then he at least mm-hmm. one cabinet of the game, but he was also on the cover of NBA Showtime. He was on the cover of NBA Hoops. He would be somebody mm-hmm. great for it. So I was like, okay, let me try to get Shaq. So I asked one person, and, you know, of course, you know, you just, I think of it as, you know, you're just throwing bottles into the ocean, you know, a letter in the bottom of the ocean. Maybe <laughs> it's going to wash up to somebody. Maybe it won't, especially when it's somebody like Shaq. So... I asked one person, yeah. they're like, no, can't put you in touch with them, but you know, here's his manager's information or here's his agent's information. I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. So I reached out uh, to her and then she got back to me, which I was just like, okay, wow. Like a, a little bit of a breakthrough. And mm-hmm. then she was like, yeah, okay. Yeah. We can try to set it up. And you know, with no, yeah, no, nothing, no disrespect intended to her or anything like that. Like, okay, we'll try it. We'll see what'll happen. Yeah. But it was many months. It was, it took me four or five months for, uh, me to uh, get to that point, like where I was like, it seems mm-hmm. like it was seriously going to happen. But then, yeah, yeah, she'd be like, okay, we're going to try to get him, try to get him, we're going to try to get him. And I was like, you know, I was as patient as can be because for Shaq, absolutely. And plus, anyways, you know, yeah. it, for anybody, you know, they're, they're giving me their time and I really appreciate that. So I go on and wait in this huddle room uh, at work around the time of the meeting mm-hmm. and then I don't get anything. I'm like, okay, well, you know, I'll just stick around. And I'm really nervous. I don't really get too starstruck anymore like I used to when I was doing these interviews just for a lot of years mm-hmm. I, you know I've done that and I'm pretty good about you know not freaking out or anything like that even when it's somebody famous or somebody I used to grow, grow up really liking so I wait mm-hmm. and wait for Shaq and then you know okay there's nothing so I, I send a message to his agent I'm like yeah hey uh, any update I haven't gotten a call and then she's like you haven't wait one second and then like a minute later I get an unknown number and I'm like and I hit it <laughs> and it's Shaq and he goes hello and I, and then I, then I, you know, I, it's like, it is really him and I'm talking to him. And then we, you know, we talk, I tell him a little bit about the book and I'm very cognizant of the time uh-huh. because I want, you know, I want to get as much good material as I can. And, um, yeah, I remember him, he was, I think backing out of his, he was, I was on a car phone, uh, like a car speaker phone. Mm-hmm. He was backing out of his driveway in somewhere in Florida. Okay. Quick question break. What are your thoughts so far? Do you have a topic idea, a question to ask? or a guest suggestion, let me know at 224-484-7733 or on the gamedevadvice.com website. And like, mm-hmm. you know, when your seatbelt isn't plugged in or your doors not closed, it makes like a little beep, beep, beep sound. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I could hear that in the background and then him going like, what the hell is that? And I was like, oh yeah, have you checked your seatbelt? And I was thinking, man, this is so weird. I'm at my day job. Ohio. Shaq is pulling out of his driveway in Florida and I'm talking to him about that and we're about to talk about NBA Jam and I was like man my life is so cool sometimes this is amazing 
<laughs> so I got 20 really good minutes with him. And he, you know, honestly, just having him was, was good enough. Mm-hmm. But he gave me some really good material and some, had some really interesting insights. And we got to even talk about Shaq Fu for yeah. a little bit, which he assured me, like, don't worry, that did fine. As in, you know, the technology wasn't, wasn't the best for the time, but, like, you know, it did fine. Yeah. So we talked mm-hmm. about that for a bit. He said that he liked Mortal Kombat a lot when we were talking about other games that he would play. So, yeah, mm-hmm. so I remember, like, emerging from that oh. huddle room after 20 minutes being like, oh, my gosh, I got him. And then my coworkers were there, and they knew that I was going to talk to Shaq that day. And I came back to my desk, like, yeah. did you talk to him? Was it, was it him? I was like, yeah, I talked to him. And then I played it for them, and, like, their faces just lit up. They're like, oh, my God, that's actually him. You talked to him. <laughs> and then like at my work this is like a little it's not an urban legend because it's an urban legend means that it didn't happen but this is like a little legend that's gone around of like oh th- you know this is ray over here he talked to Shaq once and then i was always like <laughs> yep in that huddle room right over there and they're like you know they keep thinking like did, did it really happen in the office i was like yep yeah and it was the same room that i talked to uh, or next to that room that i talked to eugene jarvis uh, and so it was such a cool yeah. experience and it was one of those amazing things that honestly would never happen without nba jam and the fact that he gave me that time mm-hmm. meant a lot to me. And honestly, that was all based on the, on the back of NBA Jam alone. The stat that still blows my mind, mm-hmm. even though I've been talking about it for a long time, is that you know Jurassic Park made, like let's say, I think it was $343 million in the theaters in 1993. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. NBA Jam made a billion dollars in quarters slash tokens, a billion. <laughs> and that yeah. number, I mean, I, like, and I think it's actually, you know, billion is a conservative number. Like they're just right. they're just crazy to me, and of course, you know, Midway was on that tear. You know, Mortal Kombat, then yeah. NBA Jam, then Mortal Kombat Two. I mean, wow, that ninety two, ninety three range was just nuts. With writing the book, I wanted it to be something where okay, it's about NBA Jam, but in the broader picture, it's about Midway and the arcade business and the whole rise and fall. And you mm-hmm. know, the nostalgia element is going to be why people will click on the the book if they see it somewhere online, or if they'll be like, oh, NBA Jam book, I loved NBA Jam. So of course, that's the initial yeah. hook. But then I wanted so that when they read it, they're like, oh, wow, there's actually like some real story over here. Like, you know, there's something that's actually happening. It isn't just I'm picking this up because I like the game and I need to have everything with NBA Jam on it. Like, look at these fascinating people. Mm-hmm. Like, look at Tim Kisro's arc as somebody who is, has such a vital pop culture impact, was screwed yeah. over time and time again financially. I mm-hmm. mean, there are just so many great yeah. stories and like so many great characters. Tramel himself was fascinating because there was a book on his own that was like okay yeah. nba jam is the base like that's why you're gonna you know that's why you'll pay the ticket price right but then for the actual show you're going to see something that's much bigger than that yeah and that's why i encourage people to check the book out because it is not one-dimensional it's not just about here's the game and here's the moves and here's the stuff i mean it, it, there's a story there it talks about the history of arcade games and and, and mid- midway and the people behind the games right because these are interesting people these aren't you know people that you would see at say normal you know corporate america these people have crazy stories and interesting quirks and all kinds of you know creativity that was around when they were building these games and you know learn that stuff and and appreciation for that and just you'll appreciate the game more uh, when you kind of know those backstories and you can understand oh that's why they made that decision or that's why that that thing happened or oh damn that's a funny story i think there's a lot of as you said, meat on the bone there to, uh, to get. Yeah. To and I, I was so lucky that I had so many people willing to share these stories and, you know, being able to talk about things like what happened with the midway acclaim split and how mm-hmm. NBA jam ended up in acclaim's hands. Like, I, I don't think that's something that everybody really enjoyed talking about in the way of like, okay, you know, there's a lot of fun memories, but that isn't a fun memory. Yeah. But yeah, was, yeah. to be able to have that story documented somewhere and to share this, I mean, I think it's something really special. And, 
one of my, you know, really kind of grand hopes for the book is that, you know, someday, you know, or maybe even right now, you know, somebody, some young developer would read this and be like, wow, arcades were so special. And then they'll be like, okay, you know what? I want to make the next great coin-op game. Like, I want to make another arcade game. Like, I really dream of the arcade mm-hmm. someday coming back and being a big force in terms of new games in a big way. I mean, not just the way of like the mm-hmm. Busters Redemption games, the novelty game, or even the arcades, and I love yeah, the arcades, yeah. but to be able to have a resurgence is like, okay, if you want to play the best game, you have to go to the arcade. That's a totally lost, lost era, yeah. but you know, I, there's so many great stories mm-hmm. out there. I hope some of this inspires somebody and they're like, hell yeah, I want to be the next Mark Termel. I want to be the next Ed Boone. I want to be the next John Bias. Nolan Bushnell's son yes. is developing this thing out in LA and, and they're creating new content, right? So it, it's not just um, old games, but um, it's this whole entertainment environment, location-based experience and work with a recruiter that's working with talent, you know, developing games for that. So there's that Bushnell legacy and the family name and, and, you know, maybe that thing will take off because I believe they're going to try and franchise it. That'd be but, awesome. Um, yeah. Yeah. Have you heard anything about yeah, that? Yeah. Yeah. I remember him you talking know? to me about this briefly when I said, you know, what do you think it would take? I think I asked him this question this back in like 2015 or 16 when we did that interview. What do you think it's going to mm-hmm. take for like the Arquis to come back to some degree that they, you know, that they were? And I'm just paraphrasing the answer, but he said something like, well, we're working on it right now. Like just stay tuned. And I think that he mm-hmm. referenced, yeah, that his son was working on something. Speaking of games, what kind of games are you playing now? Like now the book's over and you've got a little bit of time there, hopefully. What do you play? Yeah, or? yeah. Um, a lot of it's been decompressing. I don't really honestly play games as much as I used to. Like for me, mm-hmm. like I'm one of those people who goes through phases where like I really love something. Like where like I'm really immersed in something. As you can tell by yeah. spending four years just writing about NBA <laughs> Jam. But I like, I really love to like, you know, like I'm really into something and then not that I'm like, it's just that a fad or it's a phase, but I really like, you know, really getting deep into something. And then, yeah, immerse yeah. yourself in it, right? Just Yeah, in terms of new games, honestly, I'm, I'm pretty out of the loop. I'm really more of a fan of kind of pick up and play games in the way of like, I love fighters. So I've been playing mm-hmm. lots of Injustice 2 and Mortal Kombat 11 yeah. and things like that. And then I also love to go back mm-hmm. and play things like, yeah, I love to go out to arcades and play those older games because mm-hmm. there's something, I, you know what I really loved about the arcades and with fighting games too is that, you know, it's so short term. You can pick it up, you can enjoy it for a bit, and then you're done. And I really like mm-hmm. that that game experience a lot nowadays. You know, with some of the games too, the, the time Absolutely. commitment, right? Yeah. You, you know, you hear about people, you know, playing Red Dead 2 all the way through and, you know, 100 plus hours and or, you know, even more. And I'm just like, damn, I just don't have right. that time. Yeah. Hypothetically, I mean, I would love to do that. It's like immerse myself. Like that sounds so much fun, but that's also like such a huge chunk of time. And especially when you're balancing it against like all these other things, like, okay, you've got family stuff, you've got stuff to do with your friends, day job, stuff like, you know, what I'm going, what I'm going on with the book in terms of like okay, writing it and editing it, publishing it. And mm-hmm. then, okay, you've got all these commitments afterwards and things like that. All right. So what's next after the book? Any new books in the future or just kind of working to promote the book and, and spread the word? Yeah, right now? that's a great question. So it's so strange to me still to like think about life after this because it's just eaten up so much time and it's been such a big thing for so mm-hmm. long. So yeah, so over the next year, 2020, I'm still going to be focused on the book. And I want to do more with it. really want to do an audiobook version because I know there's an audience out there for that. Yeah, and, totally. yeah, and it's it's a, another thing to do with the book that would be fun and something different mm-hmm. to do. You know, of course, I never read an audiobook before. I definitely see another video game book at some point in the future. 
For the next project, I want to do cool. a novel, though. Because with a novel, what's nice is that you don't have to fact check. I mean, it probably helps to, yeah. like, get research on subjects, but you don't have to fact check. You don't have to worry about anybody's feelings. Mm-hmm. You don't have to worry about, okay, is this timeline right? Oh, is this how you format the name of this video game? Or is this or that? Yeah, right. And that just seems so liberating to me to do all the fun writing stuff without all the the stuff like transcribing hours of interviews and going through and sourcing notes and things like that. But right now I'm like, I'm just going to keep it so vague as in, you know, I've been a big into UFC yeah. lately into MMA. And, okay. you know, what they do is that like these fighters will have fights. They're like, okay, you know, he'll fight. Uh, and then they'll like, okay, I'm taking like six months off. I'm taking a year off and they'll come back and they'll do like three in a row. And I feel like that it's mm-hmm. like, okay, now it's my, my season to recover. And then I'll come back and do a whole bunch <laughs> more. So is there anything I should have asked you about, but didn't? Man, I don't know. Boy, could I pitch you on a couple of questions? Yeah, go ahead. Sure. So, you know, you're actually one of the people that I was thinking about interviewing for the book to get an idea of, because I was familiar with you and you know, to try to get an idea of your perspective on Midway in that era. And then I ended up like having like way too much material. So I was like, okay, maybe this is for another moon. Because these are the things I've always wanted to ask you, or rather I was thinking about asking you, is what are your vivid mm-hmm. memories of Midway as it was going through that transition? you know, from arcade to just home. And what was, it, what was it really like for you in that era? Yeah, there was that transition because the arcades were, were kind of dying off. And then we had to make the, you know, the leap to, to councils. So after MK4, the team took a, took a break and I got involved at the very end with the grid. And then it was like, all right, you know, we have to bring back the MK franchise and we have to do council only, which had never been done before. And, and there was just so many challenges with that because there wasn't the engine development like there is now. So it wasn't like, well, you just pick Unity or, or Unreal and then, you know, go from there. It was, there was a lot of, a lot of challenges and even some politics in certain ways about, you know, do you write your own engine? Because we had, you know, a tools and tech team that had their own engine, or do you go with something more off the shelf and customize it, which was, you know, at the time, right. anywhere. And then before. didn't EA snap that up? Yeah, it was kind of a, kind of a land grab in the sense I think they wanted to take it out of circulation and then just for the brain trust too because there's a lot of you know sharp engineers that um, that worked on it so it was really tough just trying to get everything to work and and having to knowing you know that it had to launch simultaneously in these three very very different platforms you know the Xbox was a dream to develop for it was very much like a you know it was a PC right and they were very good about support and they did their research before they got into the market. So they were very supportive of the community and um, tools and, and all those kind of things. Sony was very, here's the hardware and figure it out, right? And, and, and you could tell it was hardware engineering centric and, and there wasn't a lot of, you know, support. So there was some challenges, although the hardware was very good, um, getting the performance out of it was, was trickier than it was on the Xbox. And then off in the corner, you know, you had the GameCube and, you know, as much as people love that, system and there's plenty of great games and you know nintendo's obviously nintendo but you know in terms of a platform it was it was a beast of a challenge just to get a get stuff to work and just have things at at parity because it was you always felt like you had to drag along this this gamecube version whether it was you know the memory or the this the disk space and there were just so many challenges with that so you know getting that first one out was um was really tough and it was cool because it also kind of signaled the resurgence, you know, of MK and, and it came out and, you know, it did gangbusters, I think five, six million units. It did over a million in Europe alone, if not more. 
you know, some people had kind of written the franchise off after MK4 and stuff. And I remember being in like in a big, in the Midway conference room and, and Neil Nicastro, the CEO at the time, had a meeting and wanted the MK team in there. And, you know, we had a had champagne and, and he, you know, he gave a toast. And if you've met Neil or heard stories about Neil, they're always funny and colorful, but it, it was, you know, really just kind of like, hey, hats off. You guys pulled it off and, you know, MK's back. And, you know, that was a, it was a really cool moment to, after all that time and energy and sweat equity challenges to see come out succeeding and then, um, you know, hearing that from Neil and stuff. So, yeah, that's that was amazing. cool. And I love that story. Yeah. Yeah. Neil seems like such a fascinating person too. I've heard some stories. <laughs> I can't wait for Josh's movie, uh, Insert Coin. I, I, I'm sure he's he's going to be both the, the hero and the villain just because uh, some of the stuff, yeah, he's does pull punches. So yeah, that movie's going to be great. Once yeah. I actually have, the other thing I want to ask you about was, so did you see the, did you imagine things would end with Midway the way that they did? Did you see that coming? Um, yes and no, you, you know, cause part of it was like, it's Midway, you know, we're going to be around. It's, it's been around forever, but then we, you also kind of saw the landscape changing, right? You know, the games got bigger and bigger. The budgets got bigger and bigger. The break-evens got bigger and bigger. And it was put your chips on a few games that didn't pan out. You know, it, it looked pretty pretty bleak there. So there was that whole period where like these kind of mid-sized publishers were getting squeezed because, you know, if you went went up against the big games and, and it tanked or just did mediocre and you had too many of those, you went from black to the red and... um and that was it. So I left before Midway actually closed because I, I just kind of felt it's time to take a break from the industry for a bit. So I was not around at the very, but, you know, it was sad to see it from a distance and, and just knowing that uh, the history there and the legacy and, and, and the, the amazing people and, you know, how it all kind of ended. And it was, you know, again, I wasn't there, but I, I heard stories firsthand from friends and it was rough, especially on Matt Booty, who's top notch just amazing, wonderful, gracious person. And him being kind of there at the end, just kind of having to clean up and kind of dealing with uh, the aftermath of some bad decisions being made and, and, and the markets changing and flying to Delaware and dealing with all the, you know, loss, uh, bankruptcy stuff and all that. I give Matt a lot of credit for, for going through all that. And, you know, he'd been there since, I don't know, 1991. Oh, yeah, so yeah. Kind of growing yeah, up I think there, it was and, like you know, sound support or audio hardware support, something on NBA Jam or Tournament Edition, and yeah, and mm-hmm. I mean, and of course he's so successful now, and it just seemed like he was thrust into that, and it seemed like there was just just chaos at the time, and it was um, mm-hmm. it's just such a fascinating period to me. I mean, this is one of those things that I yeah. that I, I feel also proud of when it comes to the book is like I get to be able to be the first person to go into that. I don't think anybody's ever really talked about what happened at Midway at the end or talked to multiple people, so. I was really excited yeah. to be able to like devote some space, some space on the page to that. And the book ended up being really long, but I was like, look, you know, I want some section about, you know, I want the fun things, the NBA jam stuff, but I also would love to like get into the, the downfall of Midway because I mean, that's where so much of that, uh, the culture is gone. There was that transition because it, it switched over from proprietary hardware to PCs running NT with um, kind of off the shelf uh, computers components and then just obviously there was you know steering wheels and throttles and things like that but you know maybe in some ways they lost the edge because they weren't doing the cutting edge hardware development and it was using more off-the-shelf computers 
you know, to reduce costs because that made sense. But at the same time, maybe they lost some of that magic when you're just running Windows NT box. Eugene Jarvis is still out there keeping that spirit alive. Yeah, man. Jarvis. Yeah. God, what, Jarvis what a legend right yeah. there. Yeah. He's a minor character <laughs> in the book and he's absolutely one of my favorites. And he's somebody that I only knew his name, honestly, before I got into this. Like, obviously I knew Fender and Robotron as games, but I didn't really know. I'm like, man, yeah. Eugene Jarvis amazing he really just strikes me as like a he's got like a teenage spirit almost you know what i mean he loves to curse mm. yeah he's just loves games he's just such got you know he's got these big opinions in some ways the way that he's got that mm. laugh that he does all the time i have <laughs> such a soft spot for him fascinating guy and I, I feel like it was such an honor to be able to talk to him so much as i did and to share some of the stories in the book i love eugene jarvis what a what a one-of-a-kind character you know, people like Eugene Jarvis, I feel like there should be so much more of a cult hero status for them. I'm not saying just venerate them for nothing, but like these are people no. who like they've made some really iconic stuff. And I hope mm-hmm. that, yeah, some of these stories carry on to the point where people are like, oh, my gosh, Tim Kisro. Yeah, that's the guy. That's the NBA Jam guy. They know Tim Kisro. They know Eugene Jarvis yeah. and Mark Tramiel and Sal DeVita and all these amazing people. So where can people find you online? Uh, website, Twitter. I mean, obviously, the book I see here is on, on Amazon. So if you are uh, looking for a Kindle version of the book, of course, you can jump on over to Amazon. So as we speak right mm-hmm. now, I think it's priced is something like three ninety nine. Usually it's four ninety nine. Oh, wow. It's a deal. Pick it up, everyone. Listen to this. Damn it. One thing that I'll say, this is like my close to like a money back guarantee, but it's like I guarantee you'll learn something new about <laughs> uh, Midway and or NBA Jam. If not one thing, you'll learn a lot of things. Uh, BossFightBooks.com is another place to order. That's where you can get the paperback version of the digital versions right now. And um, okay. another link for that uh, would be tinyurl.com slash NBA Jam book. So that's something that you just want to okay. go to the NBA Jam page. But if you go to bossfightbooks.com, you can't miss it. NBA Jam will be right on the front page anyways. Cool. And then, yeah, I'm also on Twitter too, at NBA Jam book. I post all kinds of stuff on there. Mm-hmm. Lots of great little NBA Jam tidbits. Lots of Mortal Kombat stuff. You know, Mortal Kombat is always yeah. going to have a special place in my heart. Um, lots of other cool arcade stuff, 90s stuff. Well, thank you so much for being on. It's been a great episode. There's a lot of cool stuff. And everyone, go out and buy the book, $3.99. Don't even think about it. Just do it. So you'll, you'll enjoy it. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Game Dev Advice, the Game Developers Podcast. If you found it interesting or helpful, please leave a five-star review. I'd really appreciate it. And don't forget to subscribe. I have a lot of great episodes coming out. As always, I want to hear from you, the game development community. So give me a call at 224-484-7733 or reach out on the website, gamedevadvice.com. I want to know your struggles, your questions, and your ideas. Since the podcast is really about you, the fellow game developer, and our game development community. Thanks and take care.